So we're going to be in 1 John. You may have known that. Um, you need to hook it with that pop. Yeah, there you go. Um, so this has been fun to use uh, worship lyric videos for a period of time. But big announcement, that's the last Sunday for the entire month that we do worship music videos. Um, next week, we've got a gentleman coming to lead worship for us by the name of Connor. Uh, had a good conversation with him this week, so he's going to be joining us. And then we've got a couple folks coming up the 16th and the 30th from our Fort Myers, Sarasota area uh, to come lead for us live and in person. Um, and, uh, and then obviously the 23rd, we'll all be not here, but up at Cornerstone uh, worshiping with, with them. So uh, the month of August is chock full of uh, fun times. So, um, but today, not, not today. Um, all right, so we're going to be in 1 John. We are looking at verses uh, chapter 2, 28 on through chapter 3. And uh, so I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to talk through uh, some things here. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But, what we know, uh, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we, lo we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers." But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know we are, from, uh, we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. 
For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask from him, because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. God, we're thankful for your word and thankful for its uh, message to us. And uh, God, as we reflect on uh, these things, Lord, I, just, I just yield myself to you and pray your spirit would guide uh, each and every word that I share this morning in your name. Amen. <clears throat> this may be stating the obvious, but um, our experiences change us. Like the things we experience change us. And so often we kind of think of ourselves as like static, like, oh, I'm not really changing much, right? I'm just kind of the same person I've always been. But the truth is, if you look back at your life and consider the moments of your life that are significant, you can see that a change occurred at various moments. And sometimes it's very subtle and sometimes it's very, uh, very abrupt and, and very uh, impactful. I'm sure uh, for those who are married here, you remember, right? Men, you remember when your bride came through the door and started walking up towards you. Yeah, it's a ceremony and it's experience, but that moment is in your mind forever and it changed you. We've had children, many of us, and uh, you remember very clearly, the moment when your life changed. It's not just a historical event. It is a moment that changed you. Seeing that baby for the first time, this is a product of these two individuals that love one another. It changed you. And the same for every child that may have come to you, some more than others. Christy just got home from a big visit with big family, so, you know. Um, these moments change us, and sometimes we forget that we have been transformed and changed by the things that we're seeing and things that we're doing and the things that we're interacting with, but all these events change us. I was impacted this, by this passage, by this thought, and I shared a, a bit on Thursday, but by the thought from... Uh, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, that says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's 3, verses 2 and 3. The the very seeing of Jesus changes us. It it changes us from one thing to another. This passage is very much about looking forward to the time of when Jesus appears in verse 28 of chapter 2. Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears... 
we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. It's a passage here that is looking forward to the day when Jesus returns. It's perception and what we're trying to understand from it is how our future interaction with seeing Jesus is going to change us in the future. Right? When, when we see him as followers of Jesus, we will be like him in, in fullness. We will be like him as much as he desires us to be so. And so John takes that thought, and then uh, from that thought of saying, when you see Jesus, first of all, you don't want to be ashamed of what you've been through. You want to stand before him confident that you gave everything you had for his glory, that you don't, didn't live with any regrets as to what God gave you to steward. But also, when you see him as a follower of Jesus, you will be like him. The very seeing him in his fullness and comprehending how powerful and pure and good he is will suddenly change you to the fullness of what he desired you to be. And what John reflects in through the rest of chapter 3 is really this idea that knowing who Jesus is isn't just going to transform us in the future into the perfect state of what he's called us to be, but it is changing us now. That not a final product, but a dynamic product is in the works. And so he tests us and challenges and says, your heart is speaking to you about how you comprehend the Lord. And so things will change in your life as a result of your interaction with Jesus. Just as those moments in your life that you look back at, they were moments that you committed to and walked through, but those moments changed you. Everything was different from that point forward. And was it perfect? Nope. Turns out, you know, when you got married is not the pinnacle of your marriage life. It's just the beginning of becoming what God has made you to be. And it is a long, lifelong process. When that baby comes home, right, for the first time, and you're looking at it, and I've, I remember, I've told this story before, when Hattie came home, and I, I took her up from the car, Christy and her mom were uh, coming slowly up into the apartment, and I had taken Hattie up and set her down, in the kitchen of our apartment, and I'm sitting there thinking, this kid's not going, and he, this kid is staying with us. I'm responsible for this child's life. And that was just the beginning, right? I had not really experienced the responsibility that is entailed in it. I just realized that something had shifted, like really realized it. Obviously, I should have known before. I mean, it takes nine months, right? Like, I should have known. But that moment specifically was the moment for me where I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be crazy. We're trusted with this life. Yikes. Are we ready? No, we weren't. <laughs> and, and 
And so it's this process that starts, and dynamically we hopefully you know, are growing in our ability uh, as we go along. Um, but John is saying the same thing about our interaction with Jesus. You have seen him. Each of you who knows him have a time where you look back at your life and say, that's when I realized that I am a sinner and there is nothing I will be able to do to earn God's favor, and I need Jesus. Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin. Each of us has a testimony of that time. Now, did you become perfect then? No, you didn't. But John is challenging us here that something does change, and it continues to change. In verses 4 through 10, he has this discourse and discussion on the practice of sinning and the practice of righteousness. It says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Sin is operating not according to the law, the moral law that God has given, but rather operating according to what your flesh desires. Sin is having no law. And there's a practice of it that can be seen. Uh, There's also, in contrast, uh, a practice of righteousness. Again, the, the, the thing we have to wrestle with is as John walks through this, he says, anyone that is of God will be practicing righteousness. He is not saying anyone who is born of God is perfect. Not on this life. When we see him and we're face to face with him, yes. All the chaff is burnt away and only gold remains at that point. But until then, in this life, we're humbly reminded on a daily basis of our need of Jesus and his grace. And the result of that will be a practice of righteousness. The pursuit of not operating based on my emotions and my desires, but rather operating on uh, God's morals and his laws, seeking his will for our lives. No one, verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Something has changed and something has shifted to where your desires are no longer your governing feature, and rather the Lord's character is your governing feature. You're becoming like him more and more each moment until you see him face to face and he purified as he is pure. Verse 3 again, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Our hope in him in this life does not make bring perfection immediately. Our hope in him in the future state is beginning a purification process in us. It purifies us, ongoing, continual, right? So the challenge to us in that is to continue to look to Jesus, to allow Jesus to be at the forefront of your life and And the only way we can do that is to treat him as a person. To treat him as a person. 
in, in opposition to some disconnected uh, deity, we have to treat Jesus, treat the Father, treat Holy Spirit as the people who they are. Interact with them, converse with them, discuss with them, seek their wisdom, pray. Treat them as people. Ask their advice. Ask for their help. We have to see them. When we grow in our knowledge of the holiness of God, His set-apart nature and how good He is, our hearts change. We realize that this God who created us is holy and perfect, and yet He's good and He loves us. It compels us to practice righteousness as our Father practiced righteousness. John continues on in the second half of this to, um, to sort of give us some examples of what this looks like in a practical standpoint. He tells us to love one another. He says, what this is going to look like if you are seeing Jesus and allowing his character to take over your character and to produce righteousness within you and to purify you in an ongoing sense is you'll start to see these kind of things. He says, sort of in a question, verses 11 to 15, will you see a murderer? No. He gives us the example of of, uh, Cain and Abel. He says, well, if you're born of God, you, you will not be like Cain. No murderer has the eternal life abiding in them. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that that, that eternal life is not abiding in someone who, who murders. No, we've passed from death into life because we love the brothers. So this is how we see Jesus show up in our lives, verse 16. By this we know love, that he, that Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see, when we see what Jesus has done, we don't just accept what he has purchased for us in eternal life, we become like him. We put into practice what he put into practice, which is the giving of all that we have for the good of our brothers. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. For example, 17 to 18, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. When we see one another as a community, if we see one another hurting in some way and have the resources to meet that need, then withheld it, Woe, woe is us. John uses, uh, you know, the, the description of worldly goods meeting a practical need, but that could also be a spiritual need. See someone hurting among you? 
with walking through something and you say, oh, hey, how's it going? And not address what's happening. God has given us hope and encouragement for one another that while we're walking through difficult times that we come alongside each other and proclaim truth, the hope of the gospel and the hope of our Father in heaven who provides in every circumstance. But also, if there is a tangible need to be met, that we meet it if we're able. Little children, let us not love in just word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Again, a a way in which this is demonstrated, that God's righteousness is purifying us, that this work has begun and is going on in our lives, is within our hearts. Verse 19, by this, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, for he, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because he, we keep his commands and do what he pleases. What he's saying there is that um, your heart is like responsive to God. You are hearing from God. And, and God is with you. Like the Holy Spirit is a deposit on your life as a believer. He convicts you when something is wrong. He tells you, you feel it. You feel it in your heart when something is not right. And so if you don't feel some conviction of the Holy Spirit and you have the Lord, then you have confidence. But if you do feel it, you also kind of like have confidence because God is speaking to you and challenging you and you've heard His Spirit tell you this or that is wrong and you should go this way. If our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and rather His peace. He sums it up very well at the end of this that Um, we will have everything that we ask for if we keep His commandments and do what He pleases. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is what pleases Him. And this is His command, verses 23 and 24. 23. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Whatever we ask, we will receive. When we're operating under a belief in Jesus Christ as he is. Why is that why can John say that with such confidence? If we take it on one statement, whatever we ask, we receive, and divorce it from everything else that follows, we might get some weird theology of, oh, I can just ask God for whatever I want because I'm Christian, and then I'll receive it. No. If we keep his commandments and do 
what he pleases. And this is the commandment, to believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. Who is Jesus? He's the one, verse 16, who laid his life down for his brothers, who saw everything that he had as something to give to us, laid it all down for us. That's how we see him. If we see a brother in need, we will help that brother because we love them. So yeah, John can say confidently that if we're keeping his commandments to know the character of Jesus and let that be applied to our lives, and if we're keeping the commandment of uh, loving one another as Christ loved us, you know what our prayers are going to be about? Not a Ferrari. (laughs) Not bigger barns. Will he give bigger barns? Will he give a Ferrari? I mean... He's not limited into anything. If he has a use for you having a Ferrari, he'll give it to you. Probably not. But the character and nature of our prayers is transformed by, our desires are transformed by who we see Jesus making us into. Our desires are transformed by what God has called us to accomplish and do. That is love one another. And so our prayers change from prayers that are selfish and really ought not be answered to prayers that will most definitely be answered because they're prayed in this manner of the pleasing of our Lord. And I assure you that when you're walking in that way and you ask God in prayer for what you need to accomplish what he has called you to do, you know what happens? He provides every time, on time, not ahead of time, not after time. Sometimes we think it's way after time, but usually it's still right on time. Whatever we ask from him, because we keep his commands and do what he pleases, we'll receive from him. This is what I want to simply challenge us with is that we've seen Jesus and it really doesn't get more complicated than when you first saw him. It doesn't. You remember probably the time or times when uh, you interacted with Jesus and gave your life to him. You know those times. We testified about it to one another and And you remember those times in your life when Jesus showed up and you saw him and it changed everything for you. It doesn't get more complicated. It's the same message that you hope in today as you did back then. It's just applied to new circumstances, maybe. The same is true of your marriage, right? The same commitment that you're making to your wife or your husband today is the very same commitment that you're making to your, made to your husband or your wife 15, 20, 30 years ago, whatever it was. It's the same commitment that I'm going to give myself in love to you.
And so the challenge to us is to see Jesus and to let the character and nature of Jesus have its work in your life this week and forever. To, to not be discouraged if you don't feel like you're far enough along whatever track you think you're supposed to be on, but know where you're at and trust Jesus with where you're at. He's with you. And he wants you to change more and more like him even this day. And so allow the one who is pure to purify you. Hope in him who has the power to purify those who are sinners. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for um, your continual work in the gospel that... um, through peaks and valleys, God, you shape and mold our hearts and challenge us to become more like you, challenge us to trust you more and more each and every day. And God, wherever we find ourselves right now, we pray that our hope would be in that which is eternal. When all around us says to be anxious and to be afraid, we have a hope that is unshakable in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we would never let go of that hope. Lord, I pray that whatever situations are concerning us this morning, that Lord, um, we would know that you're fully aware and that you're working within our hearts that we might become more like you this day. God, help us to see you for who you are. Lord, may the freshness of when we first came to know you rush into our hearts and encourage us to cling to you in these moments today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.